Have you ever noticed that life tends to get complicated? Yeah, some agreement there. As Alb said, we've got four teenage daughters. My oldest one's 19. She's actually, at the moment, she's doing some uh, interning down in uh, North Carolina at Donnie Griggs' church in Moorhead City. Um, She'll turn 20 at the end of the year. Our youngest is 12, 16-year-old and a 17-year-old. Having four teenage kids, life can feel pretty complicated at times. And other stuff happens which makes life complicated. On Friday morning, just before, um, about two hours before we were heading out to the airport to fly across here, I was just tidying some stuff up out in the the garden, out in the yard, as you might say. And uh, suddenly, uh, this sensation like I'd been hit with an electric cattle prod in my face, and I thought it must be a, it was a bee or a wasp or something. I went screaming inside, covered myself in antihistamine cream and took a pill and eyes streaming and it was just agony. And after a few minutes when it subsided, I thought I ought to go and investigate what had, what had got me. And I went out and I found there was this little, what I thought was a, a wasp nest. And uh, Grace went down to the store to get some wasp killer. And I dressed myself up with many layers and went out to spray the wasps. And actually it was, it was a hornet's nest, which is why it hurt so much. And I thought, I can't leave it. I can't go away to the States for a week and leave this close to the house with the kids around. So I had to spray it and, and kill these wasps and manage to destroy their nest. And I think, it's just life gets complicated. I'm supposed to be getting ready. You're supposed to be packing up. I'm supposed to be filling my bag with stuff to come to the States. And here I am trying to kill a bunch of hornets, which have been trying to kill me. Life, <laughs> life just gets complicated. It, it does. And the question is, how are we going to live? How are we going to live in a, in a complicated world where stuff happens which just seems to make things more complex? Where are we going to get help? And I know that, I mean, I need practical help. I need stuff to help me with the practical stuff of life. But also I need something which is bigger than just practical how to do stuff. I need something which is more about kind of the soul, something which is more about the kind of a whole philosophy of life, actually as a as a Christian, the term I'd use, of course, is theology, something which helps me to understand what God is about and what he's doing and how to live in a way which recognizes him and his intentions for us. And the Bible is what provides the answers for me in this, the, the, the practical stuff, but also the bigger questions of, of the philosophy of life. And the Bible helps with the practical stuff. It helps us with very normal things of life. It helps us think about issues of how to handle your money and issues about how to work and issues of justice and so many practical things. But the Bible is so much more than just a bunch of key verses. It's more than just a a kind of a a book where you pick out things which might give you a little bit of practical help. It's actually something which helps us to, the whole of our life to be affected, to have, have an integrity an authenticity about the way that we live. The wholeness of who we are as people is affected by what this book contains. And so the, what this book contains is, is both very personally helpful. It helps me to try and navigate life and make sense of life. But it also helps us together to try and understand what it is to be the body of Christ, a community of God's people about how we can be more godly, how we can be more effective as the people of God in the places that God has put us. Whether that's the south coast of the UK or here on the east coast of the United States, how are we as people and how are we as Christian communities going to live in a way which is effective, which has integrity and authenticity about it and helps us navigate the complexity of life 
and the complexities that you're dealing with individually and as a church at the moment. And an important part of that is about the way that we speak. And I want to speak this morning on the theme of wise words. And we're going to start, the key verse for us this morning is found in the book of Proverbs, which is a very practical book, of course, uh, Solomon's words of wisdom to us. And we're going to start at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, a fundamental verse for orientating ourselves in life as to how to live, how to navigate a complex world. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. King Jesus, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at your word. I pray that you would help us to be wise. I pray you'd help us to uh, grow in our knowledge of you and of your calling on us, of your purpose for us. I pray that we would not despise wisdom and instruction today, but that we might submit ourselves to you again and submit ourselves to your word. And uh, Lord, that we might be empowered to speak in ways which are fruitful rather than destructive. I pray that you'd help us through your words to see how to live well, how to live well in a complicated world, to be instructed by the word of God, to help be helped in the practical and helped in the whole of life. I ask us in your name, Jesus. Amen. The book of Proverbs divides human beings into two types. We, we tend to put people into different categories, and we might think about there are different kinds of people. There are Americans, and there are British people, and uh, there are different ethnic groups. There are Republicans, and there are Democrats, different kinds of people. But the way that the book of Proverbs divides people, divides the human race, is between the wise and the foolish, between those who live well and those who live badly. And the book of Proverbs uses a number of terms to describe these two different classes of people, wise people and foolish people. And the kind of words it uses to describe the wise are words like this. The wise are good and upright and righteous and blameless. That is, there is a kind of a a moral and ethical integrity about wise people. Describes wise people as being understandable and teachable and those who embrace correction. That's, that is, there's a kind of intellectual integrity about the wise as well, and a, and a humility. They're not too big for their britches. They're people who are willing to learn and willing to listen. Describes the wise as those who show discretion and are insightful and trustworthy. That's, that is, there's a kind of a personal integrity about the wise. These are people that you can rely on, that you can trust upon. And they also know how to steward their money and they're industrious, which means there's a financial integrity about the wise. There's an authenticity about the wise, an integrity about them in the whole of life. And as a consequence of living this way, of living this wise life, the wise experience the good life. The wise are growing people. They, rather than being diminished by folly, they're growing, they're growing in their understanding of the world and of how to live. And as a consequence, they are in turn able to instruct others and become teachers of others. And so a question for us as we seek to navigate a complex world is, how do we get to be wise? How do we get to be like this? Because I want to live the good life. I want to live the way of wisdom. I want to be this kind of person, have this kind of integrity, have this kind of authenticity. How do we do that? Well, the Word of God says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
The way that you get wise is through the fear of the Lord. That's the key. The problem is that that is a somewhat confusing phrase for us. I often speak to people about this, and people are confused by this term, fear of the Lord, because we break the term down, and, well, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. We can accept that. But fear isn't good. We think fear is We don't want to be afraid. And there are scriptures about not being afraid. The scriptures tell us, do not be afraid. And the scriptures tell us, perfect love casts out fear. Fear seems to be a bad thing. And yet Proverbs says the way to wisdom is fear of the Lord. How does that work? Well, the way that it works is actually those four little words actually make one complete term. It's not just four words, fear of the Lord. It's one term which holds together. It's a little bit like, um, should be a picture up here of a butterfly. Uh, if you think about a butterfly, it's made up of two words, butter and fly. If, you, if you'd never seen a butterfly, but you knew what butter was and what a fly was, you'd never imagine a butterfly. And butterfly's unimaginable if you think about butter and you think about a fly. There's no connection. The only connection is that sometimes the fly gets stuck in the butter. And then you don't want to eat the butter. But a butterfly is a whole different thing. It's a beautiful thing. And fear of the Lord is a little bit like that, that if you break down the terms, it doesn't really make much sense, but you hold it together and it points to a whole different way of understanding who God is and how we're to live. I think a really helpful illustration for me comes from the Narnia stories. And uh, as the children enter Narnia and they meet with Mr. Beaver, and Mr. Beaver starts to talk about Aslan, the great lion. The children say to Mr. Beaver, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says to the children, of course he's not safe, but he's good. And fear of the Lord is kind of, that's a picture of what fear of the Lord is like. What is the Lord like? He's good. He's king. But he's not to be trifled with. And when you put those things together, that's what fear of the Lord is like. This is not to be afraid, to be in fear, but there's a reverence of God. There's an understanding of his awesomeness, of his kingly power. Actually, his goodness itself is kind of fearful because it's so mighty, so powerful. And so the claim that the book of Proverbs makes, the claim the scriptures make, the claim I want to make this morning is that the way to live well in a complicated world is fear of the Lord. That's how to live well. And that's how the wise live. In contrast to the wise, though, we have the fool. And the way that Proverbs describes a fool is with terms like this. The fool is wicked and bad and crooked. That is, the fool lacks moral integrity. The fool is gullible, which leads him into sin. And the fool is unteachable. As the proverb says, he returns to his folly like a dog returns to its vomit. I've got a couple of dogs. There's a dog in here. Is the dog in here still? Service dog training earlier. Uh, my dogs, are, dogs are foolish. My dogs do silly things. My do- dogs return to their vomit. They do. It's disgusting. Leave it alone. It's what dogs do, and it's what the fool does. And the fool is described as a mocker. That is, the fool has a lack of intellectual integrity. He's got no common sense. He gets too big for his britches. He's proud. And the fool is described as a sluggard and as a chaser of fantasies. That is, the fool doesn't display financial integrity. The fool is morally and spiritually bankrupt. 
And Proverbs says, don't play the fool. Because life doesn't go well for the fool. Life for the fool becomes increasingly complex, increasingly difficult, increasingly entangled, increasingly hard to navigate. And so the scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And one of the ways that the wise and the fool is uh, distinguished is by the words that they use. And words are powerful. And if we're going to live well, we need to speak well. And that's both the things that we say and the way in which we say them. Because words have power and words have power to destroy. And words can land us into all kinds of trouble. And I've been landed in trouble in time, at times by the words that I've used or the way that I've used them. Words can land us in trouble because we can use words to try and make ourselves look better than we are. We're all prone to what I call selective updating. This is where we try and present a perception of ourselves which might be partly accurate but is actually better than the truth. And we're particularly prone to do this in our generation because of social media, that everybody lies on Facebook. Everybody looks like they're having a more fun life, a more successful life on Facebook than they actually are. And everybody else gets depressed because they look at Facebook and see how much happier everybody else is. And they then lie to make themselves feel better. And so it continues. And Facebook is just a web of lies of us all trying to look happier and more successful and more prosperous and more fun than we actually are. And we just get depressed as we look at everybody else who seems to be having more fun and be more prosperous and more successful than we are. And... We get in trouble when we speak without thinking, when we just blabber stuff out. And again, we're probably more prone to this than any previous generation, more than the, was the case when Solomon wrote the Proverbs thousands of years ago. Because of social media, we just blabber stuff out and we can get into trouble. And our politicians and our leaders can get into trouble because they can blabber and speak things out without wisdom. And I won't say anything more about that. <laughs> in case I cease to be wise in my doing. And the Proverbs have much to say about this, about how words are powerful and how they can be used destructively, but also how they can be used fruitfully. I want to read a bit further on from, from the Proverbs, where there's a section which particularly deals with our words. It's in Proverbs, I'm going to read from Proverbs 17, a couple of verses, and then a few verses down into Proverbs 18. I'm going to start at verse 27 of Proverbs 17. It says this, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Mm. Challenging word for a preacher. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. A fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Let's uh, pick out a few things that are said here. The first thing is the folly of 
being over-opinionated. Look what it says there, verse 2 of chapter 18. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Now that was true two and a half thousand years ago when the Proverbs were written, but it's all the more true today in our age of social media. You know, it's much easier to talk than to think. Much easier just to blurt things out. And one of the challenges for us in the culture in which we live, because of our individualistic, democratic culture, is that we think we should have an opinion on everything, we're expected to have an opinion on everything, and we like to voice our opinion on everything. And it's worth stepping back and asking, well, why is that? How on earth could that possibly be? Why should we have, know enough about enough things to be able to express an opinion about everything that's going on in the world? And our world thrives on opinions without understanding. On things which are just spoken without real knowledge, without real understanding of what's going on. And the Proverbs warn us that this is the, the way of the fool, just to voice our opinions. And we need, to be, we need to be careful about being opinionated. We live in an opinionated generation. We're expected to be opinionated. We like to express our opinions. We're, we Westerners, Americans and Brits, we are used to expressing what we think, saying what we think, expressing how we feel about things and just letting it hang out there. And we put it on Facebook and we put it on Twitter and we express it all the time. And we think that's normal, but the book of Proverbs says actually that's the way of the fool. And the thing about opinionated people is that sometimes opinionated people can be very funny. Sometimes they can be very entertaining, expressing strong opinions in strong terms. But I've also found that opinionated people are difficult to love. They're difficult to live with. I think of people I know who, when I am with them, always expressing opinions. In the end, they become the kind of people that I try and avoid because it becomes wearing and tiring to be with that kind of person. The person who always expresses an opinion, an opinion without knowledge. And to live the good life, we shouldn't be overly opinionated, but rather should seek understanding. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fool despises wisdom and understanding. The fool is only interested in expressing his own opinion. Another thing that the Proverbs warn us about is the folly of loose talk. Verse 6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. You know, words have power. They really do. There was, in the Second World War, a famous campaign. Loose talk can cost lives. And uh, we people in the Second World War were encouraged not to express things they knew because that could give secrets to the enemy which could cost lives. Um, I was trying to find out a little bit about Frederick before coming here and was reading about Fort uh, Dietrich. And I guess from there, there are things which can't be said. There's stuff going on there which is not meant to be spoken about because loose talk can cost lives. In the town in which we live, we've got a special forces base and the uh, guys there are not meant to talk about what they do. They disappear for six months at a time. They come back. They're not meant to talk about where they've been. 
We can guess where they've been and we can guess what they've done, but they're not meant to speak about it because loose talk can cost lives. And words are powerful. Let me give you a real-life example of this. In uh, 2013, PR exec Justine Seiko from America, but she was going on a holiday to Cape Town and she changed planes in Heathrow, London. And just before she headed off on the plane to Cape Town, she tweeted to her only 170 followers this tweet. Going to Africa... Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. Now, it was a foolish thing to say. The thing was that she was not seeking to be offensive and she wasn't even seeking to be, certainly wasn't seeking to be racist. Actually, she was clumsily identifying the reality of white privilege and white bias. That's what she was seeking to do in her tweet. But the way that it came across was not like that. It came across as something which was offensive and something that was racist. She had 170 followers. And by the time she got to Cape Town, she was number one worldwide Twitter trend. Her whole life was turned upside down. She lost her job and suffered unbelievable abuse. And she tried to wipe the slate clean, tried to erase or trace of what she had done, but of course, with social media, you can't, and it didn't take very long for me to go online and find a copy of her tweet. It's there. This is a good reason to stay off social media. The thing about social media is that it's instant, and it's constant, and it's permanent, and it's global. You put something out there, and it's there, and you can't take it away, and the whole world can see. 170 followers on Twitter, and then suddenly the whole world saw, and her life was destroyed. Loose talk can cost lives. And the thing about the way that we talk, especially about the way that we talk online, is that it's really hard to hear what people are actually saying online. You read Justin Seiko's tweet, and first glance, it appears like she's just being offensive and racist and vile. That isn't what she meant. But the trouble with social media, the trouble with talking online, is that you can't hear what somebody's actually saying. You don't hear the heart behind it. You just get the headline view. And... Even if you don't use social media, even if you don't use Facebook or or Twitter, these issues of loose talk still remain. Facebook didn't exist when the proverb was written and the warning came. But our words can hurt others. The things that we say and the way that we say them, and they come back to hit us. The fool opens his mouth and he walks into a fight, comes back and hits him in the face. And so the advice that the book of Proverbs gives us is this. Unless you have something positive to say, just stay quiet. Just stay quiet. If there's issues of sin in somebody's life, well, of course, address those. But otherwise, just keep your mouth shut. Don't open your mouth and go walking into a fight because what will happen is you'll get hit in the face yourself. Another example of folly is the folly of gossip. Verse 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. The way that gossip works is like that. You think, I'll just have a little bit of that. I just want to try a little bit of that. I just want to taste it. But the thing about gossip is that it is destructive. It destroys relationships. Actually, it destroys us because it gets in our guts and it begins to poison us. It's incredibly powerful because we want to know. 
we hear something and we want to know more. We think, oh, that looks tasty. I want to feed on that. I want to get hold of it. I want to get my teeth into that. I want more of it. But actually what it does is it rots us. And the power of gossip is so amazingly powerful. I remember last year there was a, a, a case in the UK where a high-profile celebrity couple had been doing some things which they didn't want other people to know about, and they managed to get an injunction through the courts so that the UK media couldn't name them, although it was in everywhere else in the world. And I've got no particular interest in celebrity culture. That's just not really my thing. But as soon as I heard that news report, I really wanted to Google it and find out who they were. I wanted to know who it was. I didn't, but I wanted to. It's the power of gossip. Gossip is incredibly powerful. We hear a rumor of something, a whisper of something, and we want to know more. And the Proverbs warns us, actually, that's the way of the fool, not the way of the wise, because what gossip does is it it rots us from the guts out. And if... Finding out about something doesn't increase the measure of God's grace at work in our lives and how we are displaying grace to others. It's better just not to know it. It's better not to pick it up. It's better not to taste it. It's better not to chew on it. It's better not to swallow it. It's better to be naive than to have our ears and our tongues ever wagging because gossip poisons. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise that. Words can be destructive, but words can also be fruitful. Let's look a few verses on. Verse 20 of chapter 18. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. What the Proverbs say is that whatever you dish out, you're going to get back. And you'll get it back in full measure. Our tongues produce fruit, which is either the fruit of poison or the fruit of health. Our tongues can be destructive or they can be life-giving. And wise words get good results. Words spoken well produce good fruit rather than poisonous fruit. Now, how are we going to do this? How are we going to live in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of understanding? How are we going to do that? The the way we do that is through God's word. It's by feeding on the words of God. It's feeding on good things so that good comes out of us. So out of our lips come things which will be fruitful. And we'll build others up rather than tear them down. This is what the prophet Jeremiah saw. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. We need to feed on the words of God so that we might know joy in our guts, joy in our souls rather than poison and destruction. So that our lips might speak things that are fruitful rather than destructive. And this is more than just trying to speak nice. This is more than just being polite. This is more than just trying hard to speak in a way which is commendable. Actually, what we need is power to be able to do this. And that power comes from Jesus Christ. The only way that I can speak in a way which is fruitful for others is by Christ working in me. It's by his word dwelling in me, the power, the reality 
of that. Let's turn to the New Testament where we see this grounded in a really helpful way. Colossians chapter 3. Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae says this. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The context of this portion of scripture is the apostle Paul is describing what new life in Christ looks like. He's saying you come to Jesus by grace, through faith, you come to Christ, you are transformed, you're made new. It's a complete and a total transformation. Everything is different when you come to Christ. And it's in Christ that we really begin to discover what fear of the Lord means. It's in Christ that we find the one who is king and who is good, but who is not to be trifled with. It's in Christ that we find the one who helps us to navigate the complexities of life. It's in Christ that we find the way to wisdom and are able to avoid folly. It's in Christ that we discover how to live well, and it's in Christ that we are empowered to speak well. Christ empowers us to do that. It's not just our efforts. It's not just me trying to be a polite, a civil person. No, the power of Christ works in us. His words are in us so that we can speak good things. And fruit can come from our lips, which builds others up rather than tearing them down. Now, how does that happen? It happens because we share in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See how Paul begins this third chapter of this letter. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. What Paul is saying to the Colossians is you've come to Jesus Christ. You've known the reality of him at work in your life. You have shared in his death and you have been raised with him in his resurrection. You are so now united to Christ that the reality of his ever conquering life is at work in you now. You have been raised with him. Your whole status has been transformed. You are different people. Christ is at work in you. This means that you are secure. Your personal sense of identity, who you are as a person and who you are as a community is founded in the fact that died, that Christ has died and Christ is risen and you have shared in his death and his resurrection and everything now has changed for you and all is secure for you that in Christ you will inherit all things. Gives us security. Why would Christians fight? Why would Christians squabble? Why would we compete over bits of territory? Over prestige and honor. Why do we do that when we've been raised with Christ Jesus and the whole earth belongs to us anyway and will be our inheritance? You died with Christ and you've been raised with Christ. Everything is different for you now. You're secure. And this defines the whole way that we're to live. That we're to be made more like Christ. We're to be sanctified. We're to become more Christ-like as we go through this life, rather than just being swallowed up by the complexities of life and drowned by that and entangled by it, we're to become more Christ-like and live in a way which reflects him and honors him and displays him to the world. And this produces good words. See what he says here, verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what happens When you do that, what happens when you make that decision to let the words of Christ dwell in you richly? When you choose to lay hold of what is yours as your birthright, as one who's been raised to new life in Christ, what happens? This is what happens. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly, our words are transformed. The way that we speak and the effect of our words is transformed. The way we speak of one another and to one another, the things that we say and the way that we say them, the whole focus of our mouths, of our lips, that we stop being just opinionated fools or loose-talking gossips. We become people who produce fruit that satisfies from our lips because the word of Christ is dwelling within us. The new self thinks differently and acts differently and speaks differently. Jesus Christ rescues us from folly and he brings us into wisdom. He empowers us to speak fruitfully, not destructively. He empowers us to live lives of integrity and authenticity. And I want to live that way. You know, life is complicated. Stuff happens which we don't expect and we don't want and we didn't look for. I didn't expect to be stung on the nose by a hornet two hours before leaving for Heathrow Airport on Friday. Stuff happens. Stuff stuff happens in my life. Stuff happens in your life. Stuff happens in the church. Which you don't expect and don't look for and don't relish. But we're still called to live with authenticity. And live with integrity and speak in a way which produces good fruit rather than poison. It might be that you're here this morning and you don't even know the Lord Jesus yet. You might not be a follower of his. My invitation to you, his invitation to you this morning would be come to Jesus, come to Jesus Christ. Because what you need is not just life tips. You can get those off opera. You can get those from the magazine, women's advice columns in the magazines. You can, you can get life tips all over the place, but you need more than life tips. What you need is a whole new way of life. What you need is transformation. What you need is to step into something which empowers you to live differently. You need to step into life in Christ. The reality of the power of his death and his resurrection, that can be yours. You can share in that. Even this morning, you can share in that. But for those of us who do know Jesus, we need to make a decision now to practice good words. That's what that scripture says, Colossians 3.16, let let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's ours by right because we have shared in the death and resurrection of Christ. It's ours by right to have the words of Christ dwelling in us richly. I need to let the words of Christ dwell in me richly. I need to apply that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I need to apply, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. I need to live and speak as the man that actually I am in Christ and not the man I was without Christ. We need to vocalize our thanks to God. And our encouragement to one another. And we need to let 
what comes out of our mouths and what appears on our Facebook pages be good. You know, it amazes me sometimes. I sometimes look at Facebook posts that members of my church put up and I sometimes think, have you thought at all? Sometimes the Facebook page of some of the guys in my church, it looks far more like Proverbs 18 than Colossians 3.16. It's opinions without understanding. It's loose talk, which can cost lives. It's gossip, which feels delicious but poisons us. So easy to do. It's how the world operates. But we're not called to be worldly. We're called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Let what comes out of our mouths and appears in our Facebook pages be good. You know, life is extraordinarily complicated, and some seasons of life are much more complicated than others. But empowered by Jesus Christ, who died for us and was raised for us, we can live well, and we can speak well. We can be fruitful and see fruit produced in others through the words that come from our mouths. Amen? Would you stand with me, and I'd love to pray for us. I think the band's another Matthew. What a great name. He's a great guy. In my, in my, uh, in my church, in one of the locations where we, we gather, there's three of us in the leadership team, three Matthews on the leadership team, so it's just kind of completely interchangeable. Matthew is now getting up. Could be any, any of the three, but let's pray. It might be that, well, I hope that God has spoken something to you, and it might be, might be that there's things that you actually feel a little bit convicted by, that you know that perhaps your talk has been loose, or you've gossiped, or you're, you're prone that way, you're prone to being over-opinionated, that actually the Holy Spirit wants to work in you, not to condemn you, but to bring you into freedom again. It might be that you actually haven't been letting the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Maybe they've been dwelling in you poorly, but there is riches for you. I'd love to pray for you personally and for you as a congregation, that there would be a fruitfulness in the way that you speak, the words that you say and how you say them. Can we pray for that in faith? Believing that Jesus is good and he's here.